Let's pray, and we'll get right into the message this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, as we enter this Christ, uh, Christmas season, we're still still upon us. And what an amazing thing that the Lord Jesus Christ was born. Uh, it's already happened, and so sometimes we take maybe a, a trivial view of it. There's not a great sense of expectation, but there's a sense of remembrance. And yet, Lord, you want us to remember. The angels talked about what an amazing thing it was. And so we, as we enter the text today... As we enter the text today, we just pray that you would speak to us through the Word of God. You know the curriculum, the journey that you have for each person here, a personalized curriculum throughout this year and throughout this last week. And you know the message that each of us need to hear today that applies to us specifically. We offer that to you because we trust that there's a purpose in us being here today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. If you haven't heard it, I had I have to say it. Merry Christmas. Uh, I've been privileged for the last uh, uh, many years to uh, teach the Bible, but typically only during the school year calendar. And it hit me, this is, this is the first time I've done a Christmas message ever. And I thought, oh, I can, I've done some Easter messages, but Christmas, I've done one or two Mother's Days. It falls during the year. But usually I teach, you know, September to uh, December. And then, so this is great. I love doing this. Um, so we'll look at the Christmas story today. And then some. And then some. Um, I'm not a preacher. I'm a cop. You know that. So my view might be a little bit different, but it'll all be biblical, I trust. Now, uh, as a child, uh, Christmas time for me was a time of eager expectation. There was waiting. And maybe you're in that boat as well. There was waiting. Waiting to open presents that we'd find on the Christmas tree. Some we knew about during the week, but some snuck there overnight. And it was so hard to sleep because we were waiting. And perhaps you had the same experience. Waiting was almost unbearable, wasn't it? I noticed there's not a lot of children here today, so I imagine that they're worn out from waiting so much. <laughs> Do I dismiss the kids at Children's Church? I don't know. <laughs> and the fact is that, that Christmas, uh, the celebrated birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, has always involved a period of expectation or waiting. Waiting's always been the theme of it. Now, in order to more full, uh, fully appreciate uh, the birth of Jesus, we, we really have to do a little bit of review. We could jump into Luke chapter 2 and read the familiar passage that, that Linus read uh, during the, Char- the Charlie Brown Christmas special, and it's accurate and good, but a little review actually helps. Uh, now, why is the birth of Jesus really important to the world? What's the big deal? And the answer is, we have to really begin in the beginning to understand it, the book of Genesis. Now, we're fortunate as a church that Gunnar is preaching out of Genesis, and this is right in uh, line with where he's at in the Bible. Uh, last week, in fact, Gunnar introduced from Genesis chapter 3 the concept of the seed of the woman. If you've been at church any amount of time or got saved later in your life, probably the seed of the woman is not something that flashed across the screen. Probably nobody walked up to you in the Navy and said, hey, I want to share with you these four spiritual laws and tell you about the seed of the woman. It's kind of a strange concept, but it really is a major concept in the Bible. In fact, I submit to you, it's the major concept in order to understand the entire rest of the Bible. Key little verse that means everything, the seed of the woman. So let's take a moment and just kind of look at the seed of the woman. I'm going to take you back to Genesis and walk you through. If you think you can follow, you really uh, know your sword drills, because I'm going to run here, because I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But in Genesis, we learn, and God already did this, that, that Adam and Eve were created by God and placed in this idyllic environment they call the Garden of Eden. And that until Eve had a conversation with a snake leading to her disobedience of God's command, and she decided to eat the forbidden fruit, leading to Adam eating the forbidden fruit, and now sin had entered human history. 
Pretty short and simple story. Affected us all. And later in the Bible, we learn that that snake was actually an appearance of Satan himself, the devil, inserting himself into human history. In his attempt, it would appear to accomplish a very sinister plan to destroy the relationship between a good and holy God and God's most favored creation, mankind. And it looks like he won. He got him thrown into the garden. Now, midway through chapter 3 in Genesis, God declares the consequences of that initial sin. And you've heard this. In childbirth, women would experience the pain associated with bringing little sinners into the world. And to support his family, man would experience the painful toil of warfare with the ground constantly fighting thorns and thistles. And ultimately, every sin, the entry of sin in the world would bring about both spiritual and physical death to mankind. A wedge had been driven into the relationship between God and man. It's there. Now, once this disobedience, this sin, had been exposed, God makes a series of pronouncements about this sin. He both tells about the consequences as well as a plan to rescue people from this sinful state. Genesis 3.14 says it this way. I'll read it real quickly. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among more than all the cattle. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise his he shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. What a strange verse that is. And don't miss this, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. That's the key concept. The seed of the woman, the one that would crush the head of Satan, was God's means of rescuing men and women from the consequence of their sin. And the seed of the woman, then, is, is the key concept in the proper understanding of the rest of the Bible and the rest of the book of Genesis, certainly, and the rest of the Old Testament. It's the key concept. You don't understand why the stories are in Genesis that God puts there unless you understand this. There's some very strange stories in Genesis following the pathway of the seed. As the centuries go, God gives more and more information, more than the seed of the woman thing. He gives more information about the identity of the seed. Who Who is he? How, how will he be born? And how will he rescue God's people from their sin? Well, little by little, God gives us installments to tell us. The challenge is that the story actually gets worse before it gets better. And let me point out a few highlights in the story. I'll run you through some biblical history here. While Adam and Eve had many children, there's only three that are showcased, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Genesis 4.4 says, Now the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. The more literal version says, I have gotten a man by Jehovah. Or you might say, the man, this is the guy. Arguably, Eve thought that Cain was the man-child, the seed of the woman that would save them from their sin. But that didn't last long. Her hopes were dashed when Cain murders his brother Abel. And while, while the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve had many, many more sons and daughters. They actually had to wait 130 years for the next clue 
about the seed of the woman. Genesis 4.25 says this, when, when Adam was 130 years old, he had relations with his wife again. And she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. So they're getting this a little more, a little more. And yes, the seed of the woman would ultimately arise from the line of Seth, not the line of Cain or the line of Abel. And we move on. As we journey through the pages of Scripture, more information is revealed. More information is revealed. In Genesis, you'll see a sharp contrast between the family line of the seed and the family line of ungodly man. It flip-flops back and forth. But that's for Gunner to go on with as he continues next week. He'll explain that in the the weeks to come. But waiting continues. Generations pass. Around 2000 B.C., we learn that the seed of the woman would be the offspring of a guy named Abraham, Genesis 12. The seed of the woman would be the offspring of Isaac, Genesis 17. More waiting. Around 1500 B.C., we learn the seed of the woman would be the offspring of Judah, Genesis 49. More waiting. Another 500 years pass until we learn that the seed of the woman would be the offspring of King David, 2 Samuel 7. And throughout those centuries of waiting, the plight of God's people had a few ups, but mostly a spiral down. God's people cried out, when will be the coming of the Messiah? When will be the seed of the woman? When will God deliver his people? And things got worse and worse and worse. And this is actually the study of the Old Testament saints. We're told in um, 1 Peter, he says, they actually studied this stuff. As to this salvation, as to this seed, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know the person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things that they were studying the things that were announced to them, things which angels long to examine, the gospel. Now about 700 B.C., Isaiah gives us more key information about the seed of the woman. Isaiah 7, 14, he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. The virgin birth, 700 years before Christ. The seed of the woman, the promised deliverer, the one that would save us from our sin, would be born of a virgin. Very specific, very strange. And time goes on. And one wonders if Jewish mothers used to challenge their daughters in that regard, like, you better eat your vegetables, you might be the one of the Messiah. Probably not. (laughs) I just wonder these things. Okay, a few more. The seed of the woman would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5. The seed of the woman would set captives free, Isaiah 62. And the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Micah, some 400 years before Jesus, says, Malachi Malachi 3, 
Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come on to his temple. And the the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. And then we start a period in Israel's history called the 400 silent years. Not a prophet, not a word from God, nothing. Now, we have historical documents about those years. But the issue is, for 400 years, they didn't hear from God, didn't rise up a prophet. When's, this, when's the seed coming? God's people had waited thousands of years from the time of God's promise of the seed of the woman until the time of the actual birth of the seed of the woman. Who here has ever waited for something? <laughs> you can understand what it's like to be on this long road of waiting and waiting for the seed of the woman. Now, during that last 400 years, a lot of things happened to God's people. The Persians ruled Israel. And then the Greeks under Alexander the Great came in and ruled Israel. Then the Romans came in and ruled Israel. And rather than a promised rescue, the scene was very bleak before God's promised seed comes on the scene. And with that background, we enter into the Christmas story. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 1, actually, around verse 26. If you want to read along, you can. If not, that's fine. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph and the descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, stop for a second. This is, off, this is like the gunner off the cuff thing, okay? Not my notes. But I'm telling you, I've studied the Bible, and every time an angel goes before a person, that person falls on her face. Do you know why? Because it's an angel. <laughs> you fall on your face. Like, <laughs> and this is an interesting twist because it doesn't appear Mary did that. And he says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering, what kind of greeting is this? For me? Mary? The angel said to her, like they always say, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, should sound familiar, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, should sound familiar, forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, Mary at this point was unmarried. Uh, She was still a virgin. But don't pity Mary. Years and years and years, I hear people come up and talk about, well, she was as young as, you know, 17 or 13. I saw one guy say she was probably nine. Um, It goes on and on. That's not, the story's not about Mary and her age. Don't pity Mary. Rather than fearing some shame or rejection or, or cultural stigma, this good Jewish girl who, who no doubt had expectations of the coming Messiah, the seed of the woman, Mary declares in Luke one forty six, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, 
for he has regard for my humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on to all generations, they will count me as blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and the holy one is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. Mary gets it. Mary gets it. She's into this. She understands that she is the woman who will produce the promised seed of the woman they've been waiting for for thousands and thousands of years. This is an exciting time. And so, as we enter into the first Christmas, Luke chapter 2, it tells us, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, a Roman, that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up to Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea, uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, important, because he was of the house of the family of David, important, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and she was with child. And while they were there, the days were complete to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, Gunnar talked about the importance of celebrating Christmas, and let's see what the angels think about that. Verse 8, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, right? Yes. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there's been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's why we celebrate Christmas, folks. He's been born. It's a big deal. They've waited a long time. And this is what we celebrated and have celebrated for the last 2,000 plus years. The birth of the seed of the woman, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who would crush the head of the serpent and restore relationship between God and man, that which was lost in the Garden of Eden. This is a historical event. It can't be denied. And one that affected the history of the entire world, whether they believe it or not. Life-changing event. But still, we can't stop there. You know, as, as a preacher, you're not used to that. As a teacher, it thrills my soul. I'm asked a question, okay? And I'm a teacher. So how did he crush the head? Let's read on. Let's read on. Because that's really important. I wouldn't leave that hanging. See, we can't stop there because the rest of the story must be addressed. We've got to talk about that issue. You see, Messiah would crush the serpent's head. But God also said, the serpent would bruise the seed's heel. It's a two-part. And that's very important. About the Messiah, this Messiah, one of the prophets also said, when they're given little bits about what the Messiah would be like, here's what Isaiah also said. And don't ask a Jew to explain this because we don't really know what this means, but you do. Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we did esteem him stricken by God, smitten by God, afflicted by God. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. And chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. 
All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, that's the rest of the story. The birth of Jesus did not save us from our sins. Rather, he took our well-earned consequences upon himself when he was crucified on the cross some 30 years later. He was pierced for our transgressions. Figuratively and literally, his heel was bruised at that time on the cross. But that was also a death blow for Satan. That was the crushing of Satan, especially three days later when Jesus got back up. He won. By his wounds we are healed if. If. There's an if in this story. You see, a big if pops up. Just as there was always a godly line and an ungodly line, you'll see it all through Genesis, Trace through the books of Genesis and thereon, there remains today a godly line and an ungodly line. Only two lines, folks. We are saved out of the consequences of the ungodly line when we receive the gift that Jesus gave us by dying on the cross for us. By Jesus' wounds, we are healed. The Bible actually says that better, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And of course, John 1, he came to his own, but those who were of his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Children of God, the godly line. We go from the ungodly line to the godly line when we receive his gift. And friends, I know some pretty ungodly people in the godly line. Okay, that's not the issue. (laughs) This is how you get in. You trust his gift. By his wounds you are healed if you accept him as Messiah, as your seed of the woman, as the one who took your sins upon himself. That's the if. In the Bible, there are only two lines, the godly and the ungodly. The Bible is actually a simple book. Now the question is, which line are you in today? We all, every one of us since the time of Adam and Eve, we are all born, we all begin in the ungodly line. Every one of us. Every little sinner you've ever born, mama. (laughs) That's where they start. We are born again into the godly line by receiving God's free Christmas gift to us. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman the salvation of your souls, the restoration of the relationship between you and God. The death of Jesus pays for your sin and covers it all. World history can be summed up as a time of waiting for Jesus to be born. Waiting. That event happened more than 2,000 years ago, so what's God waiting for now? Jesus is coming back again. But for now, God is waiting for you. God is waiting for me. God is waiting for us to embrace the free gift of eternal life made available by the life, death, and resurrection of the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. So I ask you, and those listening out and wherever, have you received the gift? Have you 
embraced the gift? Have you opened the gift? Have you entered into a restored relationship with your Creator? I'm not talking about becoming a Christian. I'm not talking about getting saved from hell. That's there. I'm talking about a relationship with your Creator. That's what's available. The offer is freely extended to you and me and to everyone today and has been for the last 2,000 years plus. God won't wait forever. No more need to wait to have the burden of your sins lifted from your shoulders. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And that, my friends, is the Christmas story. Let's pray. (laughs) From Psalms, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven whose sins are covered, and the Lord does not hold them him accountable for his iniquities. Father, you know why it is that we wait and what's causing some of us to continue to wait before choosing to embrace the free gift offered by Jesus. Thank you for the ultimate in Christmas gifts, Jesus Christ, and through him, the forgiveness of my sin and the restoration of relationship between you and me and you and us and you and each of those that will. So, Father, please move in the hearts and minds of those who hear a message like this. You know the burdens they carry. Help them to release those burdens to you once and for all. We trust this word will not return empty. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas.